Welcome to the Living Parables podcast, where we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the sanctifying work of God's Holy Word. I'm Nate, your host. To all listeners tuning in the show, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you, and now let us begin. like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. I pray that it's treating you well so far. Today marks the second episode of our James Book Study Series, and I am very grateful that you are here with me today. Now, last week we went through verses 1 through 8, and I'm just going to tell you right now that this book study is not something that I'm looking to jet by really quickly. I did that once before in a Philippians book study and I wasn't as fond of that series as I am the ones that came after because it it does the scripture disservice when you breeze through it very quickly. So essentially what we're going to be doing with this book study series is going through sections of the chapter, breaking it down and making these episodes pretty succinct so that we're not spending an hour talking about, you know, 30 verses. So with that being said, just to give you a little bit of a preview of last week, We went through verses 1 through 8. And in that, we really heavily emphasized the trials that we go through. That the testing of our faith produces that endurance. God has a purpose for every trial that we endure. And those trials can be big or they could be small. Well, the ultimate goal is our sanctification. And God is completing the work that he started in us however many years ago it was. Maybe it could have been this year we got saved. It could have been 20 years ago. And this book study series is done for a reason because James is one of those gems in the Bible that really brightly stands out. And I say that with a lot of books. I mean, I I really enjoy Colossians. We've talked about that many times before. That's one of my go-tos. Right now with the men's group, we're going through the book of Romans, which uh, that's coming at some point. That'll be, that's going to be a task in itself. But last week, once again, We're talking about the the testing of our our faith, and it produces endurance. And we also talked about if we lack wisdom from God that we need to ask for it because God gives generously. Because a lot of times when we go through those trials, we need that wisdom to especially overcome it, but also to endure through it. See, what a lot of times God does is when we're tested, he doesn't just pluck us out of the problem. 
He doesn't just take us out. But that's what we want. We don't want to go through trials. We don't want to go through fiery ordeals. We want to be snatched out away from there and brought to safety. And rightfully so. However, when Paul asked God to relieve him of that thorn in his side, we don't know what it is, but when he was asked to be relieved of that, Jesus spoke to him and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So when we go through these trials and we feel like we're, we're weak and down and out, we have something that the world doesn't have during those trials. We have the grace of God that gets us to the other side, that gives us that patient endurance to long suffer through that. And when we come out on the other side, we are stronger in our faith because of it. So that is something that we should be taking joy in. That's why in verse 2, consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. Because that testing of our faith produces the endurance that we need to remain to the end. And that is the goal. This week, we are going to be starting in verse 9. Today, we're going to be talking about perseverance. And so, we're going to be going through verse 9 through verse 15 today. So, if you have your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 1, starting in verse 9, we're going through 16. Now, we're not going to read this all the way through, but we're going to kind of take it verse by verse here. So, verse 9, it says, But the brother of humble circumstances... Now, this is talking about a church member, a brother in Christ, is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. And what does that mean? The literal translation here means the flower of the grass. He will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. So we just read verses 9 through 11 here. Let's just break this down here. Trials make all believers equally dependent on Christ. And whatever status you're in, high income, low income, anybody in between, we are all on the same level in Christ. It says it very clearly in Romans chapter 2. There is no partiality with God. There's no favoritism with God. We are all on bended knee to serve the king. Now, what is this high position that it's talking about in verse 9. What is this high position? We have a high calling from God. It's not that we look down on others, that we're better than them, but we have a high calling. We are servants of the living God. Let that sink in for a moment, because I don't think we value that as, we, as much as we should. I think we sidestep that. I think we, we water that down. But we have a very high position. 
And again, it's, it's not that we lord it over people, but we take that with humility. And it says, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because like the flower and grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with the scorching wind and the withers the grass, and its flowers fall off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Now, let's talk about verse 10 here. The rich man will glory in his humiliation. The wealthy are brought low due to their trials. Their wealth cannot comfort them, but only the riches of God's grace can do it. And that's why the world is so incredibly lost. Because the wealthy, then the people of this world, they only drink from the cesspools of this life. And they're thinking that this is going to be something that's beneficial for them. But once again, the cesspools of life, it ends up reaping destruction. And so we have to understand that. We have to understand that when we drink from the living water, Jesus Christ himself, that we'll be like the tree transplanted by the streams of the water. If you remember that study in Psalm chapter 1. This is where in, this, in these trials we rejoice because God's grace is sufficient for us all. Here's the deal. People that don't believe in Jesus Christ don't have that privilege. They are truly left to fend for themselves. And that is a scary thought, going through this life without God. And the problem is, for the, for the unbeliever, is if you're stuck in that unbelief and that complete rebellion in, in Christ and to Christ, here's what happens. God may end up giving you over fully to that. See, God displays and demonstrates his kindness to us all. He causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. So God's common grace to all is clearly evident. I mean, you think about the unbeliever every single day spits in the face of God by not repenting and turning to Christ for the only hope of salvation. And in doing so, they are reaping and storing up wrath for themselves. But God still causes good things to happen in their life because that kindness ought to lead them to repentance. But far too often, they think it's, well, look what I have accrued. Look at the decisions I have made. Look at how much I have worked to accomplish this, this goal, this treasure. Look what my hands have done. And what we're going to find out later on, I'm going to, I'm going to cheat here a little bit. In verse 17, it says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. The believer gives thanks in all circumstances to God because all things and good things come from Him. The unbeliever, they don't give thanks and they take the credit for it. But that's not what we do. But the reality is, in verses uh, 10 and 11, like the flower and grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with the scorching wind, withers the grass, 
and its flowers falls off and the beauty of appearance is destroyed. Again, for so long, for so long, you can keep this, this act up. And, and money is something that is a very, very dangerous thing to long after. Even the Pharisees, it says in the book of Luke, they were lovers of money. Listen to Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. So if you love the money, you're going to end up in a snare. You're going to end up trapped. And here's the reality of it. Verses 10 and 11, this is talking about the destruction of self. Money doesn't do anybody any good. Now, can you be good stewards of, of the things that God's given you? Yes. Am I telling you that you have to give up all wealth to follow Jesus Christ? That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, God does bless believers at times with wealth. But here's the folly of that thought. It makes a clear pathway to the road of the prosperity gospel. Well, see, all God's children must be dressed in $3,000 suits, and they must be driving this type of car, and then you must be living in this large of a house with you know, three-car garage and blah, 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 blah. That's not what the gospel offers. Are there Christians who are faithful stewards that true believers in Christ that are wealthy? Absolutely, yes. I'm going to tell you a quick story, though. There is a man that ended up being a very successful entrepreneur, made millions of dollars, faithful follower of the Lord, faithful, faithful, faithful. Can't stress that enough. He was a wonderful man and just loved the Lord and spent his time in the church, in the scriptures. I mean, doing everything right. And then his son... got control of most of the stock in the company and was going after his father to try to bleed him dry of the money that he had accrued. And as he spoke to the pastor, he just said that, I'm literally devastated right now. I cannot believe my own son would come after me like this. And it wasn't just for... You know, $1,000. We're talking millions of dollars. And in the grand scheme of things, if you think about it, sinning against his own father is one thing, but he's sinning against God, and you're destroying a relationship that is supposed to be one of the most coveted relationships in this world between a father and a son. And it breaks you up. Going back to Ecclesiastes, he who loves money will not be satisfied with that money. You're going to be chasing after it just like the wind. Good luck with that. 
But this is what happens. Worldly pursuits and obsessions seem great, but will eventually fade away. And that's why we, as believers, must set our minds on the things above. So now, we go down to verse 12. And we're going to go all the way to verse 16. But right now, I want to focus on verse 12. This is a big one. This is one you should have underlined in your Bible. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once, he has been approved. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. We have some wonderful cross-references for you. Luke 6.22, Blessed are you when men hate you, and ostracize you, and insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. If that's you, your reward in heaven will be great. But we don't want that. We don't want that trial. We don't want to go through that. And that word persevere in verse 12 means to stand their ground, to bear up against. All this weight is pressing down upon you. It's like, seriously, like, like that statue that, of the man is holding up the world on his back. The weight of that is crashing down on you. But in Christ, you can stand up against that. You can bear that weight because the Holy Spirit is living within you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. There is no greater power than that. And what do we do? We close our Bibles. We don't pray. We throw pity parties. We don't persevere. We're not tough. We're not spiritually tough. It says, blessed is the man. That's, that's God's favor. That's happy. We, we are joyous when we persevere that trial because that gives us confidence. Hey, God helped me through that. I'm still standing. Amen. But here's what happens. So many people go through these trials and it breaks them. And it breaks them. You know, and everything's connected here. So if we go back to verse 2, in James chapter 1, here's what it says, because they're both connected. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So here it is. Blessed is the man who perseveres under those trials. For once he's been approved, what does that approved mean? It means pass the test. He will receive the crown of life. Well, what are we talking about here when it comes to the crown of life? Listen to Matthew 10, 22. Jesus says, you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. The crown of life, it, we're talking about heaven here. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about the salvation that was purchased by the blood of Christ 
is now completely ours. We are completely done away with sin, and we are in glory with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the crown of life. It's not that we're getting these crowns, like these physical crowns, and all these jewels and all things. Storing up treasure in heaven, those are spiritual things. So, the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that's the goal. If we love the Lord, he is going to get us through every single thing that we go through. And that's a promise. And I can sit here and testify about those things. Listen to Romans 8, 28. We've read this many times before. But it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are calling according to His purpose. We have to understand that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So the things that we go through, we don't understand. And we've said this many times on this show before. We don't get to see the end game. We don't get to see the finish line, but God sees it. And the things that we go through, they're not easy. But they're to get us more sanctified, more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, preparing us for glory. So everything that we go through does have a divine purpose. And when we go through those trials, and we said this last week, it's to see, is Nate walking what he's talking? Is he applying the head knowledge that he's accrued over all these years to his life and living it out through his life? And that is... A game changer. These trials often come in waves. You know what I'm talking about. They always say they come in threes. My family just experienced three deaths in the family. And it, it's just it's just bizarre. Actually, four. Our church right now just in the past six months, has experienced three to four deaths of people that are very near and dear to me that I will genuinely miss. But here's, here's the beautiful part. I only have to miss them for just a moment. I mean, I don't want to be, you know, sentimental here, uh, but... I mean, just a blink of an eye, I was, I was just a kid. And I blink again, and now I'm almost 40. And I have four boys and a wife. I mean, it's just, it goes by so fast. And if you don't have your faith in Christ, what do you have? You have nothing but yourself. And we know that we exalt others above self. We exalt Christ above self. So if we're living for him and we're living for other people, man, you're going to have a really blessed life because it's not about you. 
It's not about what you get out of life. It's not about, about what other people can do for you. What favor can they do for you? It's serving others and serving God. Now let's get to the end of this study. Verse 13. Now this is, I cannot stress enough here, verses 13 and 14, how powerful this is. Listen to this. Let no one say when he or she is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Lies. God never tempts you. It says, the next part of verse 13, For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself, God, does not tempt anyone. Let's stop there for a minute. People have said it. Oh, God, God's, God's tempting me. He sent me to do evil. God's holy nature has no capacity for sin and no vulnerability towards it. Understand that. Jesus overcame evil. He never spoke a foul word, never disobeyed a command from God. He never disobeyed or broke the laws that we break on a daily basis. He is perfect, sinless, holy, and righteous. And you know, going back to Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted in the, in the wilderness, how did Jesus respond to those temptations? It is written, it is written, it is written. That is a direct model, an example for us to follow. Because when we're tempted, do we rely on the scriptures? Do we even go to them? Or do we just run around with it like a chicken with the head cut off saying, ah, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Many of us have done that before. But when we are tempted, when we go through these trials, slow down, stop, and pray. Slow down, stop, and pray. God is not tempting you, brother. God is not tempting you, sister. So where does it come from? Verse 14 has the answer. Each one is tempted when he or she is carried away and enticed by their own lust. Now, again, we've talked about this many times before. Through trials of difficulty, a believer's life is strengthened if we are obedient to God and fully trust God throughout it. Or we become a billboard for sin if we doubt God and disobey Him. But your temptation comes from yourself, your own lusts. And a lot of people, a lot of people fall into this category. That word enticed here means lured by attraction, like a bait. It's a trap, people. Your own lust is a trap. When you're married, either you're the wife or you're the husband, and you look at another person, Stop yourself right there. No, no, no. 
the ring on my finger, the vow that I made supersedes the beauty and attractiveness of another person. And let's take that a step farther. The world can appear beautiful. It can appear enticing. But do not cheat on God for a moment of earthly pleasure that's passing away. Because in verse 15 it says, Then when lust has conceived, it's pregnant. We know what that word conceived means. It means pregnant. When lust has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin and what is fully accomplished, what's fully grown, it brings forth death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the result of it. So when lust has been conceived, guys, you guys, you guys stop it there. You can't flirt with sin. You can't, you can't, even, you can't even kind of give it a side glance. You got to stop it immediately. You, need, you know what you need to be like? You need to be like Joseph. We just, we just read about Joseph, didn't we? We just learned about him. What happened when he was one-on-one with Potiphar's wife? What did he do? When she grabbed him by the robe? And by the way, we just talked about this, but I'm going to say it again. She was beautiful. She was probably the most beautiful person in that city. But no one's around. No one's watching. But guess what? Joseph's devotion to his Lord superseded any lust. And he says, you are not worth sinning against my God. And what did he do? He ran away. He ran away. When you're enticed by your lust, stop, pray, run away. <laughs> stop, pray, run away. So that death doesn't follow. Because sin is hand in hand with death. So don't be deceived, my, my beloved brethren. We're going to get into verses 17 to the end of the chapter, God willing, next week. So we always talk about this. So what's the so what? What's the so what? Brothers and sisters, we must persevere under trials. There are some of you that are listening right now that I know are going through the most fiery of ordeals right now. But the crown of life is yours if you endure till the end. That's the goal. We put too much stock in this life. And don't get me wrong, this life is a blessing. This life is a gift from God. And we must be good stewards with this life because he gives that life. And we need to honor him and glorify him with our lives as a living sacrifice for sure. But we put way too much stock in this life because we're not here that long. We're going to be in eternity longer than we are on this earth. Understand that. So what are you living for? Are you living for yourself? Are you living for the world? Are you living for Christ? Are you living for His purposes, His glory, His will? Or are you living for your own? Because when you persevere through all these trials of life, you will be approved. That means you have withstood the test and passed the test. And therefore, by the grace of God, you are going to receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised those who love him. 
We endure because we love God. We love God more than this world. We love God more than our lusts. We love God more than anything that this superficial world can throw at us and offer us. The world offers sin. It offers death. It offers temporary pleasures. God offers you eternal life as co-heirs forever in glory with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is nothing greater than that. So take that today and run with it and never look back. Take that and never, never turn back. So with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And remember, again, we, we say this too often. Don't ever let it become watered down. But this final statement, everything is in Christ. Everything is with Christ and everything is for Christ. Until we meet again, my friends, God bless you all.